Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page and for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chigi, and as always, today I'm joined by Vic Hudson. How are you doing, Vic? I'm good, John. How are you, man? I'm doing very well feeling uh, very transformative today and that probably doesn't make any sense so yeah i don't really know where i was going with that um i wanted to talk about <laughs> yeah i want to talk about it's a bit early to go off the rails yeah you're damn straight it is it is too and when you say early it's like late at night here so depends but anyhow um so i want to talk about something i wrote about a couple months ago um i did an article on tech distortion called everything is cyclic. I was having one of those moments where I was feeling very reflective and frustrated and annoyed by the cyclic nature of my decision-making process. And I guess I wrote out a frustration about myself and it was sort of like, yeah, I don't know, my attempt to explain to myself about my own cyclic habit, I guess. Anyway, so... um. So, you read the article? I did. Um, before I get stuck into it, any 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 opening thoughts before we dive into it? Um, I thought it was a good piece and it was well written. Okay. Well, I guess that's something. Thank you. It, it um, brought up some interesting points that I'm assuming you'll probably get to since you wanted to talk about it. Yeah, true. Well, okay. So, I guess the whole point of it is that everything... Everything seems to be very cyclic. So all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit philosophical. You know, sunrise, sunset, repeat. The seasons change, you know, summer, autumn, winter, spring, or fall, depending upon how you want to think about that. Um but the point is that it just seems to go round and round in an endless loop. It's like wherever you are in that loop, it just seems to keep going around. And and people's thinking and optimization the way we try and optimize and life hack and tweak things that we do just seems to go around in circles. And it's like we try this, doesn't work out quite the way we like, so then we hit reset and try something else. And then we say, oh, that's not quite the way I liked it. I liked some of these other things from the last thing I tried, so let's just go back and do that again. And yeah, before you know it, you've just gone in a complete circle and you're back where you started. Maybe there's some some minor iterative improvements. I guess that's the point of, of, of it's, uh, they say, iteration yeah, it's a necessary part of, of, of evolving and that's fine. But I suppose the problem I've got is that what happens if it is just nothing but cyclic and there's no iterative improvement or anything? And that I guess that bugs me. It's like I sometimes think about the decisions that I make and the justifications that I tell myself and say, well, you know what, you're just doing that because you think you're going to have an iterative improvement. Things are going to be somehow a little bit better. And yeah. And they end up not being what you expected. And so then you had it hit reset, you go back to the way it was. And you're like, well, this wasn't so bad. And the things that used to bug you, they don't bug you as much when you go back. You're like, oh, this wasn't so bad. I can handle that. I can live with that. You ever experienced something like that? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 
I just I guess in the article I talked about two things, one in depth and the other one I sort of alluded to that I've since taken a plunge on. So we'll start with the one the, the example I gave in the article, which is the one I've gone through for the last 10 years, maybe 15 of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's to drive or to take public transport. Yeah. Now, where you live, do you have those options or is it just... Because I know there's lots of parts of America where public transport is just terrible and you have no option but to drive. Do you have much yeah. of a choice where you live? I don't where I live, no. In, in some of the more metropolitan areas, there there's public transportation, there's city buses and stuff. I mean, we have we have taxis here, if you could consider that public transportation. Could do that, but... Like, my daily commute to work is 45 minutes each way, so... <laughs> yeah, and I that's driving, right? I don't have right? much choice but to drive for that, yeah. No, no bullet train between my little hick town and Lexington. <laughs> Well, Which is just in a, fairness, a bigger hick town to most of the world. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't be like that. Um, the the funny thing is where I am, I, I commute, it's 48 minutes without traffic. With traffic, it can be up to an hour and a half, but still, generally, it's about an hour-ish, maybe an yeah. hour and 10. And that's a pretty long commute, even by you know, by Brisbane standards or South East Queensland mm-hmm. standards. But, but irrespective, yeah, I, I do at least have a choice because I'm five minutes drive from the nearest train station to two to choose from about that sort of distance and I can catch a train into the city and I have also got options for buses. I could also catch a bus, take a heck of a lot longer, but I could still get into the city that way if I wanted to. Uh, so, I guess the thing is, you know, like the, like uh, Neo said, the problem is choice. Mm-hmm. If you have if you have no choice, then there is no problem because you don't have a choice. It's like like you said, you can only drive. So of course, once you have a choice, you've got to start weighing up those options. Which one are you going to pick? And mm-hmm. I thought all over the years, I've gone back and forth in a, in a in a endless cycle. Well, a, a seemingly endless cycle. So let's start with the case for public transport. And okay. the case for public the case for public transport is. Uh, I drive my car to the train station and for a time I would ride my bike to the train station. So it's either or, but I, either way, I still have to maintain a bike or a car or both. Uh, from there, I take the train into work and that allows mm-hmm. me to do work on my laptop. I can read things uh, on my iPad or my iPhone or whatever. Uh, the newspaper, a paper newspaper maybe. That's just crazy. Who does that anymore? Old people, like <laughs> older than old, yeah, older than me, and you are older than you and me. People older, yeah, yeah, them. Anyway, uh, yeah, never mind. Okay, so um, so I can do all those things. Potential audience, John. Oh God, you got a point there. I should probably edit that out, but I'm just totally not gonna. Anyway, I say that now. <laughs> dear listener uh, if you are older and you like reading a paper paper that's awesome i love it Uh, me on the other hand i'm embracing technology and i read all of my newspapers on my ipad now uh on my but my my novelty sized ipod touch (laughs) um which is i think is the best way to describe the 12.9 inch ipad pro um it is a novelty size ipod Okay. Anyway, uh, so yeah, 
all right, back, back on topic. I can do things on the train. And that that's, can become productive time. I could do work, work, or I can do like podcast work or work on the website. I could do iOS development. I could do whatever I like on the train within reason. You know, I mean, I can't, you know, do somersaults or an acrobatic act or anything crazy like that or, you know, things like that. Because, yeah. Yeah, but there are limits, but I could do a heck of a lot more than I can if I were to, let's say, be on a bus perhaps or especially if I was driving a car. So... The train has that big advantage. The train also goes, uh, if you catch the right express train, it goes generally quite fast. There's no traffic congestion to worry about, but trains do break down sometimes. Uh, And then, of course, the last leg is you have to get to the train station and walk from there to the office. Mm -hmm. Final destination, I guess. So... All of that also requires um, walking outside for a period of time. If it's raining, uh, if it's really hot, so it can be quite uncomfortable. You can get to work in the middle of summer and you're all sweaty and that's not a good thing. So you got to then have change of clothes or blah, blah, blah. So the other thing about public transport is that it's on a set timetable. You come and go on the timetable and if you miss your train, sometimes you end up on an all stations train, which takes even longer or sometimes trains are late. And you're stuck waiting if you just miss one or, you know, if you're too early, the train could be late and you could still get home late or to work late. Uh, the other thing, other factor is price. And mm-hmm. in uh, Southeast Queensland, it's quite expensive. So, it takes me, it costs me um, $7.85 and that's each way. So, that's every day commuting into the city. That's what? That's who said 14 15 uh, 60, 15, 70, 15 dollars and 70 cents Australian, which current exchange rates probably around about 12 dollars US return to the city every day. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's at least three cups of coffee right there. If we're doing the <laughs> cup of coffee cost equivalent, which yeah. is just the, all that it's just, you got to do that because that's what the cool kids are doing. Yeah. Yeah. You should buy my app because it's like the price of a cup of coffee. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. Is it the price of a train fare into Brisbane City? No. Anyway, the money. Actually, what I hear more than you should buy my app because it's the cost of coffee is, is why do you buy your coffee but you won't buy my app? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just that's just that's needy. You know, no one no one's going to buy your app if you're like pleading. It's like guilting them into it. It's like you know, how how come you haven't bought it? Are you are you sipping a coffee? Are you sipping a coffee right now? Because that coffee, that's guilt. You're drinking guilt because you didn't buy my app. <laughs> that's what you're doing. <sighs> it's terrible. I don't think that's a valid marketing tactic. But anyway, never mind that. All right, sorry. Back on topic. <laughs> so the train has a lot of advantages. You can sort of, if you want to kick back, relax and switch your brain off, you can do that too. You know, you don't have to do things productive on the train. But if you switch your brain off when you're driving, that's probably going to have negative consequences. So anyhow... Um, all right. I welcome so, the self-driving car overlords. Because <laughs> I'd uh, like to switch my brain off and do other things during my 45-minute commute. Uh, I hear you, man. I hear you. I've that reached is, a point that if we had a good train that I could take to work, I probably would. That is, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but there's a lot of pluses there. Oh, another plus, too, is I don't have to pay for parking. I'll park at the train station. That's free. Uh, if I park in the city, that's going to generally cost me money, generally. So... Okay, so that's the How many argument. cups of coffee? 
secret. Yeah, well, this is the problem, isn't it? Too many. I can't. I if I give up all my coffee money, then I'll just be an angry person. <laughs> and that's just not good for anybody. So anyway, all right, okay. You wouldn't like John when he's angry. Um, to ask the kids, they see it most regularly. So anyhow, never mind that. All right, good, lovely. Uh, so uh, right, that's the train. And the train is is really great. All public transport is really great for all of those reasons. But the cost is can be a bit prohibitive. Okay. So now we're going to switch back and we're going to think about um, the negatives of taking the public transport. So the negatives of public transport is you are not in your own space. And when you're not in your own space, it means that other people can get into your space. And yeah, that's it. You know how people have this, oh God, this, um, there's, this, uh, there's an effect where people have this concept of a personal space and you're in my mm-hmm. personal space. So, I'm oh, sorry, you are currently not in my physical space. My personal space is not 13,000 miles away, um, just so you, it, you're fine. But I mean, if, your head space, John, your if head you're, space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying uh, that may well be true, <laughs> which is disturbing. <laughs> But if you were within 10,000 miles of me, then that's just too close. Okay. So, if you move move to the West Coast, man. Anyway. All right. So, the problem is that they... I may may move to, like, Australia in November, you know, after some election stuff happens. (laughs) Man, you and half the United States are going to be moving here. I'm telling you. We've got some great beaches. Anyway, um... (laughs) Trump's right about one thing. They're going to pay for that wall because they're going to want to keep us out as we try and exit this country. <laughs> uh, this is not... Um, yes. Okay. So, moving on. Uh, right. So, yeah, personal space. Personal space. Right. So, in, in uh, Japan, I believe that their personal space is extremely close to their body. So, they don't mind if you're getting up in their face, like right in their face. But... Other countries and Australia's are on the other end of the spectrum where we actually have a personal space that's a lot wider, a lot larger than that. So if you're on arm's reach away, that's probably just right on the edge of personal space. And if you step inside that, it feels uncomfortable. And that's just because we're not used to big cities. We're not used to being crowded. And as our cities get bigger and bigger, people gradually get desensitized to that. Unfortunately, I grew up in uh, a country town of sorts. I mean, Rockhampton is not a country, country town. Exactly. But when rush hour lasts for about 10, 15 minutes, I'll call that a country town. I mean, a true country town is there is no rush hour. That's it. But, you know, so anyway. So, no. And having a, a population when I was growing up around about 65, 70,000 people, that's still not small. But yeah. compared to Brisbane or Southeast Queensland's got three and a half million people, well, that's obviously a much bigger yeah, and therefore more people, personal space is different. But the reason I'm, t- I'm going rambling on about personal space is simply because from my point of view, being on the train, if anyone sits next to me, they're in my personal space. And if I don't know them, I don't like that. Yeah. So if someone's in my personal space, you know, they could be playing like loud music through their headphones, which is like bad for your hearing. Go back and listen to um, episode eight, I think it was, <laughs> of, of, of the show. Um, but yes, don't... Yes, quite serene environment. And a train is not a quite serene environment. So there's that. Uh, and there's also 
there's also so there's the loud people on the phone that they're, they're, they're shouting at each other. You've got teenagers are typically the worst, like worst offenders for just like having no sense of self, mm-hmm. like just like they're on the train, they're on the train, everyone else can just like suck on that and they don't care. And it's like, okay, I get that you don't care. That doesn't mean that we collectively don't care and that we, the grown-ups, wouldn't love to throw you off at the next station. <laughs> Please stop talking. So, um, never mind that. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, you've got the smelly people and it's like, yeah. the. Uh, so, yeah. It's like the last time they had a shower, we're not entirely certain when that was, but it was a significant time. So, yeah, those are the disadvantages. You're not in your own space. You're not in control of your own space. Okay. So, those are the falls and against taking a train or public transport, I guess, in general. Buses are much the same in a lot of those respects. But now, let's talk about driving, taking your own transport. And I suppose the same kind of works with motorbikes, but... Don't have a motorbike, so I can't comment. Although they seem like a lot more fun than a car, they're also a little bit more dangerous. So, uh, and I guess that's the whole point. That's what makes them fun. <laughs> there was no danger; there'd be no fun, unless, of course, someone says it's awesome fun riding a scooter, like a, you know. <laughs> I don't think I don't think anyone's ever said that. So yeah, I think it's definitely the danger that makes it fun. <laughs> oh no! Don't don't don't. don't. Uh, okay, so yes, driving a car. So one of the great things about driving a car is that it can be a door-to-door experience. You can literally drive out of your garage and drive along some roads or a freeway in some roads and drive into work and park and walk straight into the building or even park in the basement or underground parking and walk catch the lift and you're at work. Now, working in a city where I do in the CBD... That's an expensive proposition, the end-to-end door thing. Because uh, my building, $5,000 a year if you want a car park in that building basement. That's wow. a ridiculous amount of money for a car park. It's just not worth it. And unfortunately, if you buy it Why, why, why a- is it so high? Is the demand for the, the parking that high or? Yes. Okay. The demand is so high, I think. The problem is that you've got a lot of executives in our building mm-hmm. and where there are people with high disposable incomes that are looking to reduce their taxable taxable income, yeah, they say, ooh, 5000 a year, I can just use that as a tax write-off or something. And I don't know. I, they'd, something like that. And anyway, the, the per-day rate of that is actually cheaper than if you were to go and park on an ad hoc basis in the car parkade, which is less than a block away. So if you park in the parkade around the corner, it costs you early bird rate $17 a day Australian, which you'll note is slightly more than the train. And that's just for parking. That doesn't include petrol costs, gasoline costs, running maintenance costs on the vehicle, which are significantly more because you're driving a longer distance than you are if you just drive to the train station, which is a five-minute drive as opposed to nearly an hour. So once you factor all of that in, it sounds like it's a losing proposition. But of course, if you know where to park and you don't mind walking, suddenly things don't seem so bad. So what if I did street parking? Because street parking is still a thing. If you park far enough far enough away from the CBD and you're prepared to walk for a little ways, 
Mm-hmm. So, you can throw your door-to-door idea out the window. It adds some commuting time because you're going to walk as well as drive. So, let's think about that then. So, if I could find a street park where the parking is free or at least they'll let you park all day for a minimal fee, then how far away is it worth my while? Mm-hmm. So, I've actually found a spot which is a 15-minute walk from the car to the office where I can park on the roads for free, provided mm-hmm. it's not a game day. It's a stadium parking area. Gotcha. So, stadium parking areas, yeah. So, on a day of a game, once it hits 12 o'clock at lunchtime, you better move your car or it's going to get towed. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so on game days, I'll spring for the $17 for the ad hoc parking in the parkade and every other day I'll park in the street mm-hmm. and I'll walk. And that has another benefit because the walking is good for exercise. So, I get, yep. you know, half an hour of exercise broken into two 15-minute chunks every day. So, I'm not paying for parking now. I'm only paying for uh, the running cost of the vehicle. So, now, if you look at the price of petrol or gasoline and you look at the time it takes, the time it takes is on the way in less time than a train because the traffic on the way in is lighter in the early morning. And in the, of an evening, it's about the same amount of time as the train. So, let's just call it a wash and say it's the same amount of time as the train. Same amount of exercise as the train. And here's the interesting thing. So, I said it was about $15.80 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, it only costs $9 in gasoline, Australian dollars, uh, each day for petrol. So, suddenly, um, the car just got cheaper. Yeah. So, the thing is then... And you okay, don't have any smelly people in your space. That's right. I have my own private space. If I want to sing at the top of my lungs in the car, I can. Mind you... I'm going to suggest podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a podcast. It's a car cast. Quite possibly. I don't know. Maybe I should look into that. Um <laughs> I didn't thought of that. It's an interesting idea. I think that um, the the coolest thing though is that I'm actually glad that the whole soundproof bubble dome thing in the car is good for me, and it's really even better for the rest of the world because they don't have to. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, never mind that. Uh, yeah. So you're in your own private space. No smelly people. You can do what you want. You can listen to whatever you want on the radio. If you want to listen to the radio, you can listen to podcasts or I guess you could record a podcast. Interesting idea. Um, you could do what you want in that respect. Jason but what you Snell can't do Hurley is you can't... What's that? Sorry? Jason Snell and Michael Hurley did a... Uh, they did a car cast, one episode of Upgrade. Interesting. Okay, so where was I? Um, oh, yes, that's right. Uh, so one thing you can't do in a car is you can't read, at least not yeah. in a sensible manner. You can't text message you can't type on a keyboard or a phone not not unless you don't mind crashing your vehicle into the car in front of you of course i mean if you don't mind that then hey it's a free-for-all well it certainly doesn't stop people from trying but you should not do all of those yeah things. you really really shouldn't and i drive a manual car and um you know stick shift and mm-hmm. it's just like oh man no it, it just don't bother so that's off the cards i can't read the newspaper I can't read Twitter. I can't do Facebook. I can't do any of that. I can't do any prop podcast preparation. I just can't do anything. Um, 
And that's okay in some respects because it means I get some enforced downtime for my brain. You know, I can just sit there and absorb. I can do the sponge thing and just suck it all up and not actually produce anything, which is, you know, has its benefits. It's about balance, right? So, Uh um, but that's the big downside. So, I've lost that productive time. I had 10 hours of extra time every week when I was taking the train. So, this is all like well and sanitary, but what about the downside? The other downsides of driving is that you have car accidents. You know, like not hopefully not you, <laughs> hopefully, definitely, hopefully not you, but you know, other other people have car accidents. And if the car, the, the roads aren't designed well, then what happens? Things choke up and you're, you're screwed. You're, mm-hmm. you're stuck in a, in a gridlock and you just can't get out. And all the side streets, everyone says, I know a shortcut. Guess what? So does everybody else. And then you end, in the side, end up in a side street with an even worse traffic jam. And you're like, why did I get off the main road? Now I can't get back on the main road. And you just give mm-hmm. up and you just throw your hands in the air and you start singing a different kind of song with expletives in it. But anyhow, so, you know, that's the downside. And the Brisbane roads are horribly designed. I mean, a lot of cities have horribly designed roads. And when it, when it blocks up, it blocks up good. And you're stuck in it. Yeah. Anyway. Doesn't happen too often, but when it does, you like, oh, funny, I was taking the train. And sometimes, if you're on a stretch of road that goes along the train line and you're stuck in a gridlock and you see a train go past, you're like, <laughs> so angry. Anyway, so it sounds like I'm sold on it, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like, yep, John's driving. But this is not the first time I've driven a car into work. This is about the third or fourth time in my life where I've done this. Mm -hmm. And I've had different economic equations between why I would drive, why I would would take public transport. And it's usually a series of consecutive last straws. And this is what I've been thinking about that drives the cyclic nature of our behavior. And it's like, why am I doing this? Why do I keep changing my mind? What am I looking for? I'm looking for the iterative improvement or am I running away from a series of coincidental events that happened very close together that were considered to be the final straws and that nudges me back the other way. And the reason I sort of landed on this theory as to why people do the cyclic thing mm-hmm. is because it's a. I think it's about like a consecutive stacked annoyances. Yeah. So, what's happened to me uh, in the last, oh, geez, what's happened to me over the last six months on the train, the public transport has been getting steadily worse. And I talked about um, some of it on a special, uh, on a private episode of um, of Causality, just briefly about one of the incidents that happened. Uh, so, for those who are not patrons of the show, you don't have access to that. Patrons got access to that. But anyway, if you're interested, become a patron. It'll be on there. Anyway, uh, and it was about um, an incident where I got run over twice um, on a crosswalk. Mm-hmm. And being verbally abused for not doing anything wrong sits badly with me. It's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just trying to cross the crossing. Yeah, that's never any fun. No. And it's like, I don't like getting abused for that. And sometimes you bite back and sometimes that really doesn't end well. So, you know, I had a couple of incidents like that, uh, I had people walk up to me on the train 
and grope me in different mm-hmm. places. Um, I'm not going to mention all of them, uh, but suffice it to say, <laughs> that was not a pleasant experience. Uh, I've no, I would think uh, no, it's not. And, um, and and some would say, oh well, it, it, maybe it depends on like you know who it is doing it. You know, I'm like, well, no, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't. <laughs> if I. It's always an invasion. Yeah, it, that, that's it. It's like not only are you inside my private space, you're like, um, like you're you're throwing up on my private space and then slapping me in the face at the same time. It's like no, 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 no. Stay back. I've had people, um, essentially, um, just uh, uh, like verbally abuse me, like like, like call me different names, um, uh, insult me to my face, um, try and uh, bully me to get off the train. Um, you know, it's been, there've been a couple of incidents about three incidents. They're all very quite unpleasant. Uh, I've had, I've had a stranger walk up to me on, uh, two separate occasions and just rub my head. Mm-hmm. Like just literally rub my head. Wow. And, Cause I, <laughs> and one, one of the guys that one guy that did it, um, they were both guys that did it. Okay. Figure. I don't know. One of the guys that did it, um, was obviously on some some kind of drug. I don't know what the hell it was, but he was not, you know, he was high on something. And yeah. he's, he's like, I've never seen a head like yours before, man. And I'm like, wow. okay, I'm going to cross the road now. What's that? It's not safe. I might get run over. I don't care. I'm going. <sighs> I And... Good times. Yeah, good times. Yes. So, you know, I just, I got to that point of discomfort where I needed my private space, my personal space, and I didn't want to deal with that. Oh, there was actually, hang on, there was another incident that also um, was kind of scary. Um, I was at the top of, um, I was uh, waiting for some traffic lights at the top of a hill to change, and I was just standing there, minding my own business, and there are these two guys walking towards me, heading towards the. Uh, uh, there's a um, a backpackers uh, hostel, uh, just along one of the mm-hmm. block, one block away. And you know where it is because you always see the backpackers come in, uh, coming and going. And they were heading for the the hostel. Anyway, so this car literally comes around the corner, and he had, and the car had right of way. And these guys decided they'll just walk. Yeah, they just walk anyway car barely slows down beeps at them and this guy was already in an, having an argument with the other other person he was walking across with and I, I suspect he was also like it was either either ice or it was um steroids or something he was just beyond normal levels of angry like really really enraged and he swears like so much at this car and swings around and he punches the glass in the rear window, he literally punches the glass. What person wow. punches the glass on a moving car and screams abuse at him? Issues. It's like, wow. As you say, good times. So I kind of had enough of it. I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need to be dealing with this. I don't feel like dealing with this. And I was just feeling really uncomfortable. And I decided, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. So I needed my own space back. And so I just literally decided to try it. I said, I'm going to try driving and I'm going to try and find a street park 
and see what I can do. So over the next few days, mm-hmm. um, following weeks, actually, I tried a few different spots till I found one that worked that had a reliable spot by half six in the morning, still had a reliable spot I could get generally and uh, had a couple backup places and the walking distance was acceptable to the office. And this walking distance was through the suburbs and it bypassed the hostel, mm-hmm. it bypassed the train stations, it just bypassed all of the, the ugly stuff. Um, and that's it. So, um, yeah. but the funny thing is, you know, we remember, or rather I remember what put me onto the train last time in the last cycle. So, you would think, well, you know, oh, that's really convincing. You're going to be driving for the rest of your life. Well, am I? Since I've done this, I have essentially given up that extra 10 hours of time and I was using that time to do preparation for this show. I was doing yeah. editing for the show, uh, preparation for causality uh, and the the new podcast I'm working that, that's just been released actually called uh, Analytical. Uh, and all of that, you know, that time is now gone. I was doing programming for the website um, you know, I was developing my own um, podcast, uh, like li- literally a, a podcaster's uh, uh, add-on, plug-in, whatever, for Statomic, which I essentially decided to stop mm-hmm. developing. Um, so I, I, I developed it as what the engineered network runs on and, and a few other of my uh, friends have used it and it's in use in a few places. But ultimately, it, I just decided, look, it's not, a, it's not a business I want to be in, despite the fact I wrote it so that anyone could use it um, I just don't want to be supporting that, so I let that go, um, which is kind of you know, yeah, which is kind of a shame. But you know, there you go, it's all right. So that's where I'm at. You know, is I can't I can't do that that stuff and that that time anymore. It's now enforced downtime, and I can see that bothering me because it means that I've been doing pragmatic less, uh, and ultimately that's the trade off that I've made. Um. I still find time to do causality, I think, more regularly and I'll be doing analytical regularly as well. Uh, but the truth is analytical has a lot less prep and causality also, eh, probably similar amounts of prep to pragmatic, but still. So, you know what I mean? It's like I've, I've given something up and I have to eat into my, my, mm-hmm. my evenings. So, the thing is though that I used to drive and... I saw this as a, taking the train as a way of getting some more productive time. I also stopped driving previously because of all of the accidents and traffic jams. So if I get like five or six really bad gridlocks and it takes not one hour and a half or two hours and a half or three hours to get home, but one time I remember it took me four hours to get home. When I'm, yeah. when I'm in one of those absolutely insane gridlocks where they shut down one of the major arterial roads heading north out of the city and I'm stuck for a stupid amount of time. And if that happens a few weeks in a row, that's when I get mm-hmm. I get the, you know, I get <laughs> And um, I have to go and go back on the train again because I'm like, that's it, I'm done. I've had enough of driving. Yeah. I wanted to have some productive time back. I'm, I'm just, I'm done, you know. And then I'll be back taking the train again. But the thing is, I've also been looking into other cost savings and I've been looking into getting an electric car. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, 
but I'm I'm looking at the, yeah. the Nissan Leaf because or Nissan Leaf because the Nissan Leaf in Australia has been heavily discounted because the current model they've got is four years old, 2012 model is all they've got in Australia. They imported uh-huh. like 500 or thousand. We no one knows the exact number, or maybe they do. I don't. But anyway, and they didn't sell very well in Australia for a whole bunch of reasons. But ultimately, I think having driven one a few times, they're a beautiful car. They really are lovely. And I can't afford a Tesla. So I'm not, I'm, I don't have that kind of money. Uh, I may do in coming years, but now I certainly don't. But, you know, who knows what the future holds. But for now, I can't afford one. So it remains a pipe dream. And that's fine. Pipe dreams are good. They keep us motivated and, um, I don't know, deluded. Anyway, so there we go. Um, I'm looking at that. And if I were to get one, the actual cost of running uh, is about $2. It would cost me $2 a day to commute in electricity costs. And that's yeah. and that's using, that's charging overnight on low rate tariffs. Uh, if I were to somehow find a that way. leaves lots of coffee money left over. It sure does. I could get two extra cups of coffee. Yeah. Or one coffee and an app. Oh, nope. <laughs> Stuff that app. I want my coffee. Anyway, never mind. So, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like it's like there are further cost reductions to be had. Of course, the downside of that is that the Leaf costs more than a similar internal combustion engine car and you've got to factor the repayments in and it works out over a five-year period to actually be about the same cost as a petrol vehicle. But after that, you save money. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, of course, I've got solar panels on the roof and I make a huge amount of surplus during the day. So on weekends, I charge the car during the daytime, cost me nothing. So technically, I'd be getting one day of the week driving to the city for free. There you go. So it's cheaper again. So that's the whole cyclic thing with driving. And What about solar panels on the roof of the car? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> no just i no <laughs> gotta draw the line somewhere okay this is pragmatic so i'm going to answer you technically why that doesn't work okay you asked for it okay <laughs> the actual surface area of the roof of a car is barely enough for using the highest end production solar panel you would get maybe 200 watts absolute max out of your maximum efficiency gotcha. production panel. So you've got 200 watts of capture area that you can produce. Now, the batteries in a Leaf, Nissan Leaf 2012 model are 26 kilowatt hours. That's kilowatt hours. Yeah. So if I'm going to charge this thing and assume perfect efficiency, which the charger is never going to be perfect efficiency, but let's assume it is, in order to charge the battery fully with a 200 watt mm-hmm. panel, I would need direct sunlight. Let's see. So we got 26 hours and uh, so 26,000 watt hours. So 26 kilowatts, so 26,000 watt hours. So what's 26,000 divided by 200? That's 1,300 one <laughs> hours. 1,300 hours to fully charge the leaf and that would get me a range of about 70 miles. So that's going to be a while, man. Um, yeah. So, no, just no. And here's the other thing. Also, it also ruins the aerodynamics. If you mold the solar panel into the roof aerodynamically, then that solar panel will lose efficiency. So, it also would increase drag and the mass of the vehicle. 
So no, just no. <laughs> Got it. Anyway, yeah, but um, they do have a the the top of the end leaf model does actually have a little mini solar panel at the back, which is there for for people that like to say, "Hey, man, I got a solar powered car." And it's like, well, no, you don't. It's trickle charging the battery, which I guess mm-hmm. is kind of still helpful, but really not that helpful. Because it's not like you've got to charge the battery. This is the thing I find bizarre about the Leaf is it actually has a lead-acid battery in it just like every other car. But mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have a starter motor. So, what's the point with the cold crank amps? You don't need it. It's there to power the accessories and stuff. And so, the accessories don't drain the onboard battery. Yeah. Which is the drive battery, which is just a fascinating and crazy idea to me. But never mind that. All right. Okay. So, what do you think so far? Good stuff. Okay. But wait, there's more. There's more, Vic. There's always more. (laughs) Yeah, there's more. So, the cycle's coming around again? Yes, it is. And this is a cycle that is going to... This is a cycle that's going to annoy some people, but this is where I'm at. One of the things that I said to you when we started uh, recording tonight is that this is going to be an experiment. Uh-huh. Now, why is what, why is could you, would you explain to the listeners what we're doing differently in this episode or what I'm doing differently in this episode? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna sum it up by uh, poking at you a little bit and saying that you've become one of those iPad people. Technically, I was always an iPad person. The difference okay. is, I did not I did not go all in, and uh, now I am. And we so, paid for it tonight. <laughs> I this is a learning curve and I am <laughs> I'm at the lower part of the learning curve. Uh yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So let me describe this this evening's setup, dear listener. Through the magic of editing you'll notice no difference. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. But Okay. So here we go. Um, I, I'm okay. The iPad, I have an iPad Pro. It's a 12.9 inch, um, 128 gig Wi-Fi only model. I've had this for quite some time now. I've had this since December last year or late November last year. Uh, and I use it every day for work, for taking notes with, um, uh, with good notes. I've done an episode of the show about it previously and I've blogged about it and I absolutely love it. I'm still using it every single day for that purpose it is hands down the best um, engineering notebook I've ever had. It is just amazing, and I love it. Uh, as as computers go, it's not the greatest, but it does the job. I can. I've, I've recently, as in a few weeks ago, I bought the Lightning to USB three camera adapter, uh, the one that mm-hmm. Phil Schiller, I think it was, talked about on stage. You can do like lots more into this than just a camera, and it's like no kidding. So that uh, I can plug in uh, an Apple keyboard, uh, the aluminium keyboard, a uh, wired keyboard with keypad. And it is I, you know, still my favorite keyboard of all time. I love that thing. And the, um, the aluminium one, not the new one, right? And yeah. I can then plug into the USB hub that's built into the keyboard with the standard 12-watt adapter. And I can mm-hmm. power my Onyx Blackjack uh, USB interface so i can actually mm-hmm. listen 
uh, I can actually listen to, I can actually record and listen to through the headphone jack uh, my recorded voice because uh, my voice is also going through. I've got a DBX286, which is independently fed from AC and I've got the USB powered uh, Onyx Blackjack, which then digitizes that for the um, for what was the Mac and now is my iOS device. And it works perfectly except for one little problem and that's mm-hmm. Skype. So for shows yeah. like Analytical and Causality that I'm recording in this way, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. But when I'm doing Skype, I uh, have a problem. Um, the problem is that iOS, every time I go to background Skype and record Skype, it doesn't let me. Now, I'm not sure if I'm doing something wrong because I've read plenty of how-to articles that tell you you can do it. But I've tried every order. I've tried every setting I can think of and it just isn't working for me. So, we're running tonight with a hybrid configuration. So, I've got my iPhone and my iPhone is sitting on top of my Heil PR40 uh, shock mount. So, it's directly in front of my mouth, just above the mic for, that I'm recording. I have my in-ear monitors plugged into my iPhone so that I can hear Vic and it sound as isolated from the microphone. And Vic can hear me speaking through the iPhone speaker. I can also hear myself. I have a separate set of headphones over ear headphones, not in-ear headphones, uh, plugged into the blackjack so I can hear my own audio coming back. And of course, because so you're the blackjack... Are you wearing two headphones? Yes, I am. I'm wearing okay. um, IEMs on the inside um, for your audio uh-huh. to keep your audio separate. And I'm wearing over-ear headphones over the top so I can hear my own voice. Now, I okay. could refine... I could, I can refine this in future because I could pipe that audio into the spare input, uh, so the second channel of my mixer, and I could bring that in through the blackjack, and then I could record both the Skype and this. But I'm going to require some adapters to do that that I don't have available at this moment. And I'm recording it using Ferrite, which is the podcast editing app that I'm using now, and Ferrite is pretty damned awesome, I have to say. I know um, I heard about it originally from uh, Jason Snell and he heard it from mm-hmm. Fraser Spears and I think Zach Zaichi may have mentioned it along the way somewhere and so on and so forth. But I'm going to go to using Ferrite now as my editing app of choice. I am going away from the Mac. So there you go. That's the setup. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's convoluted and yes, it Such seems as though... Is. Yeah, and it seems as though I'm, you know, going a little bit overboard. But, you know, if, if Skype would, would background okay in iOS and I could record that audio that way, I would. Alas, it does not want to let me. So, in next time we do this, I will, you know, I will have fixed this up. I'll have the adapter and we'll just, you know, record from my phone. Um, but I'll pipe the audio through the blackjack so I don't have to wear two sets of headphones because it's really uncomfortable and bizarre. It just sounds weird. <laughs> Because the in-ear monitors um, are attenuating a lot of the sound from mm-hmm. my own headphones, so it's just it's weird. Anyway, so you may think you may think to yourself, "Well, that's a lot of trouble to go to," you know. And it's like, well, this is the only situation where the iPad can't do everything that I need in and of itself. Yeah, and I'm sure that problem's going to be solved 
um, through alternative means. It's just a matter of finding those means. No, it's not ideal. I understand. But I'm sure that in yeah, iOS 10, people, they'll introduce something. Some people solve it by keeping their Mac around just for recording the podcast. Yeah. I'm just well, going to float that out there. <laughs> yeah, stuff that. Okay. So now that now that we've bored the listeners to tears about um, the podcast set up for this evening, which is you know, really exciting stuff, I'd like to talk about why I'm shifting from uh, away from the Mac. And people that listen to the show regularly and have done for a long time will know it's not the first time I've talked about this, but I started out, as a lot of people did, as a Windows user. And I loved my Windows machine. I'm not ashamed to say it. I did. But then things started to really, really piss me off about Windows. And what really annoyed me was two things. One, viruses. And two, mm-hmm. I want to say viruses, I include malware, spyware and all that with that. And two was the incessant amount of updates. Actually, there's a third one. And the lack of system stability. So those were the, the the key reasons why I gave up on Windows, and that was around about Windows XP. So mm-hmm. um, I did play with Vista briefly, but Vista was just terrible. So at that time, I bought myself an eMac, and it was a PowerPC G4, 1.25 gig model with a, with a gig of RAM, and I loved that thing. It was solid as a rock. I remember it had something like 180 days of uptime, and the only reason it crashed was because we'd lost power. <laughs> it didn't crash. It just never crashed. It was solid as a rock. I would leave it on 24-7 and it was mm-hmm. perfectly stable. You know what? I reckon you could have poured water on that thing and it would have kept going. Okay, maybe not. But you know what? It was just, hey. <laughs> it was just an incredible piece of technology. It was so good. It was running Tiger and then eventually it ran Leopard and it was just fantastic. Unfortunately, I decided it was time. Well, I say unfortunately, but I mean, I decided it was time to upgrade. So from that point on, I, I upgraded. I got myself a Mac Pro, the old cheese grater style. I had a MacBook uh, Pro 15-inch in there for a while. Then I upgraded to a uh, a MacBook Air 13-inch. And then six, eight months ago, I bought a Retina 15-inch MacBook Pro which is currently for sale. Now, that was supposed to be my audio video editing machine, you know, like home videos and so on, audio editing for podcasts, podcasting, but also my work machine because my work machine was a Windows laptop running Windows XP and then for Mm -hmm. a while Windows 7. But no matter what you did with my work laptop, it was a Dell, like Latitude, God knows what crappy thing. And it was just, just terrible, just terrible. It was a typical IT supplied laptop atrocious but it kind of did the job but it was it's heavy it's sluggish and it's horrible so anyway all right so i was that was the intention i got my ipad pro initially and said if i couldn't find a place for my for me on my desk i was going to return it but turns out Mm -hmm. i loved it for note taking alone so then this um this usb adapter comes out and i'm like i could do podcasting with this and i tried it and it worked out and it was and it's working, and that was the last that was the last thing I wanted to be able to do without a Mac. But that wasn't the final straw. It was sort of like the, I guess, the final question mark. But the final straw 
happened gradually over a few months. I got back from my um, holidays and mm-hmm. on my desk was sitting a Surface Pro 4. Now, I'd made comment previously to my manager that um, the only reason I had my MacBook Pro at work and it was essentially hacked onto the you know work network. It was I, I'd extracted all the certificates I needed for authentication. I'd done everything I had to do in order to connect this thing to the network and make the network think that it was a genuine Windows machine when it wasn't. And it worked okay. There were a couple of things that were a little bit dodgy, but it, you know, it worked okay. And um, no one ever really complained. Not seriously, anyway. So... That was fine, and I could have kept doing that. But this Surface Pro 4, a few other people in the department had gotten Surface Pro 4s. They weren't technically sanctioned by the IT department because they ran Windows 10, but they were still allowed to, begrudgingly allowed by IT to connect to the network and all that other good stuff. And Mm -hmm. the Surface Pro 4 is the first Surface Pro that I would rate as as a good machine. The Surface Pro 3 was close. The original Surface was terrible. The Surface RT was just even worse than terrible. Um, but this is the first one, I think, that Microsoft has made that I would rate as being a good machine. And I started using it at work, and it was good. It was really good. It was pretty stable, relatively solid. It ran all the apps with no problems. Um, it integrated with the, com- the corporate stuff a bit better than the Mac did. Ultimately, it was the first company-supplied laptop that was actually any good. All the ones that happened and had in my life up until that point had been pieces of rubbish. And I suppose that it probably telling that this particular laptop was not generally IT-sanctioned, so you had to get special approval for it. And, mm-hmm. and I was just lucky that they took pity on me. Either that or they were trying to get me to get rid of my um, MacBook or something. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, I decided I'm going to try this. Let's just go all in. I'm going to try it. And so I left my MacBook Pro home for a week to see if I could make it work. And there it sat. And yeah. it's never came back to the office because the because the Surface did a perfectly good job. It was reliable, it was stable, it ran what I needed. And it gave me slightly less grief. And so this is where it comes to the cyclic part and why this all came to a head. Marco, um, who's been on the show three times now, uh, Marco Arment, he Uh wrote an article a little while ago called The Functional High Ground, uh, suggesting that Apple's lost the functional high ground in terms of their software quality. He got a lot of ribbing and a lot of like it, it went up. If I think it went as high, like to Bloomberg and it went, yeah, it went nuts. He got a lot of, yeah. he got a lot of attention for that piece. Some of, I think he's hearing about it now because he, uh, quote, said Apple was turning into Blackberry. <laughs> well, see, the, the thing is, um, I agreed with him at the time and I agree yeah. with him even more so now. Yeah, And the steady decline in the quality of Apple software. So, what, 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 so here, what's my story? My story is on ever since Tiger and Leopard on my eMac 
I've been on the Mac now since 2006. So it's been 10 years I've been running a Mac Mm -hmm. as my primary machine. And I have gradually watched. I think it started just after Snow Leopard. So Snow Leopard was the last most stable release of iOS X that I can remember. iOS 10. Sorry. And it's just gotten steadily worse. I've had errors come up on my MacBook Pro when I've gone to launch an app and it says PowerPC apps are no longer supported. I'm like, no f- kidding. <laughs> I know that. You know that. We know that. And it's this. Somebody doesn't seem to know it. There's no PowerPC binary in here. I know because I checked because they stripped it out. It's El Capitan. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? You try and install a PowerPC app or has a PowerPC binary on it, it'll tell you this app is not supported on this this version of OS X. It, won't, it has like a gray circle and a line through it. it. won't even let you open it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, come on. And of course, you reboot the computer and the same app launches no problem. And it's like, okay. So my MacBook Pro was having issues where um, you would put it to sleep, you'd wake it up and then some of the apps would just like not not respond properly. So you'd open them and Windows would not move and you couldn't enter text in some of the Windows. Um, it was having the most bizarre problems. Network connectivity was dropping out randomly on Wi-Fi and on Ethernet. Um, my Mac had started to get um, kernel panics from time to time. Not often, but it was happening more regularly. And I don't know if that's hardware or software related. It's very hard to diagnose the difference. Yeah. And essentially, I was at the point where my MacBook Pro needed to be rebooted every day. I did a fresh install of LCAP and I put all the apps on that I needed to do my job and I ended up right back where I was. It wasn't some kind of rogue app or maybe it was a rogue app corrupting something, but I did all the usual stuff that you would expect to do, which is the whole... I'm going to fix disk, disk permissions. Like that's going to change anything. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I, I did all the troubleshooting that I could think of and it made very little, if any, difference. And I just found myself at that point like, right, I'm not in the train anymore. I'm not doing iOS development anymore. I've more or less punched out of that game, I think. Um, I've had ideas for apps, but every time I've started, I've just thought to myself, you know what? My heart's just not in this. And I have too many other things on in my life right now. So maybe yeah. someday I'll come back to it, but I'm done for now. And I have a in Australian dollars, $3,800 laptop sitting on my desk, not doing anything. I'm not using it. I have yeah. an iPad that's worth <laughs> a fair bit too. But that iPad Pro is um, capable of doing pretty much everything that I want to do now. You know, I can edit Word documents and Excel documents in it. They're really good. You know, the Office apps Mm -hmm. on the iPad are fantastic. They are so good. And, of course, if I didn't want to do that, I've always got Cloud Numbers and Keynote, and they're all excellent apps. You know, they are really good. Ferrite is, is, is great for editing podcasts. It works well. You know, it's not an issue. I've got PDF editing on there, and I can take any handwritten notes that I want on there. What do I need a Mac Pro, MacBook Pro for? The other mistake I made with the MacBook Pro coming from a MacBook Air 13-inch is that thing is heavy. I thought the power, I'd use the power on that thing, like the graphics card and everything. No. Yeah. No, just wasn't using it. Didn't need it. You know, if I need to uh, encode video 
or edit video, the kid's Mac Mini, which is a which is a three year old Mac Mini, it does just fine. You just let it run for a few hours overnight. Go to sleep. It's ready in the morning. What's- <laughs> yeah. Who cares? You know, I cannot justify it, and that's why I'm selling it because it's like, well, that's a wasted piece of technology. Someone else should get used out of this machine, other than me. Yeah. So here I am. I am still running. Uh, I still love my iPhone. I still love my iPad. I love my iPad Pro. It's beautiful. I love the Apple Pencil. It's fantastic. But in the Apple products now and my Apple Watch, I love my Apple Watch. I also wear that every day. So I'm fully connected with Apple touch interface equipment. But I am giving up my um, OS X because the reliability is terrible and I'm just not using it anymore. So as far as I'm concerned, Apple haven't just lost the high the the functional high ground with their software quality on the Mac. They've torn it up and thrown it out the window. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. And the number of updates that come out. It's not quite as bad as as Windows. Yeah. But it's like in terms of the number of updates. But in terms of stability, uh, my MacBook Pro is now less reliable than my Windows 10 Surface Pro 4. That's where we're at. That's where I'm at right now with Apple and their desktops. So I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with the hardware on my MacBook Pro because all the glitches that I'm getting are appear to be software-related glitches. And I said it's been getting kernel panics. I've had two in six months of use. You know, yeah. I used to get none on other machines. Like the MacBook Air, I think I had maybe two kernel panics and the entire time I had it was like three years and a half years I had the MacBook Air. My Mac Pro, I think it never had a kernel panic and I think um, the eMac may have had one or two in the couple of years I had it. So kernel panics notwithstanding, it's just it was just unreliable. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was done with it. I'm just done with it. Um, and if I have to deal with rebooting my machine every now and then because sometimes with the service pro is i'll dock it and it doesn't quite get the screen screen scaling right because the, the the service pro screen is high is high dpi just like you know retina it's just, you know they don't call it retina and when i've connected yeah. that to an external monitor and the external monitor is 1920 by 1080 and it's like a more standard low res ppi uh sometimes it gets the scaling incorrect and things look funny sizes and i found that you log out log in or reboot same effect and, you know, it fixes the issue. But that doesn't happen. Most times you dock it and it's fine. Yeah. So I'm sort of at that stage, you know, where I'm like, well, if I've got to reboot my computer one one, one way or the other and I've got a, a functional work computer now and my home computing needs are met by the iPad and the iPhone, why do I need a MacBook Pro that's worth $3,800? I don't see the point. Yeah. Bye-bye. It's gone. I'm going to sell it and put the money towards something that I'm going to use or that the kids are going to use or the personal use, mm-hmm. you know, what's the point? So that's it. You got to do what works for you. Yeah, I know. Absolutely right. I do. But the issue is that what were the final straws that led me to that? You know, it's like, yeah. What pushed me over originally is that all the work supplied laptops in the past have been terrible. And notice I said laptops. I think the surface pro four is a wonderful laptop with a removable keyboard. That's awesome. Because mm-hmm. all I ever did with my MacBook Pro was I plugged in an external keyboard. 
You know what I mean? And that's what I, <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's what I do with my surface. Now I knocked the surface on episode twenty nine. The you'll never change the laws of physics, right? The you know you can't mm-hmm. change the laws of physics. It, it, sitting that thing on your lap, don't even bother. I've tried multiple times, and it's just pointless. It works on a desk, and that's it. But here's the thing: I don't use it on my lap because I'm not in the train anymore. I don't use it on my lap in meetings. I've got a desk. I just take the keyboard yeah. off all the time. The keyboard cover, I never use the keyboard on the Surface Pro. I just plug the Surface Pro into an external keyboard just like I did my MacBook Pro. You know, so I've got the best keyboard. I don't I don't like that keyboard that much on the Surface Pro. It's just a cover. I'll use it in a pinch because it's better than the on-screen keyboard. The on-screen keyboard on the iPad is, is amazing. It's really good. I can touch type on that thing and kick ass. The Surface Pro 4 though, no. Nah. Service Pro 4 keypad touchscreen touchscreen keyboard is is horrendous. Don't like it at all. Um, but the hardware keyboard is is actually usable. Mm-hmm. But that's not how I use it. So I'll pull it off and I'll plug in the external keyboard, plug in the dock, and away I go. So I've got a dock at home, dock at work. So it's just one thing, away you go. It's, it's wonderful. And the, the final straws for me were the, the reliability. And the fact that I now had an equally reliable or better or more reliable alternative at work and everything else I had at home was working for me. So there was no longer an excuse. And in terms of Macs in the house, I still have my Kirsten still has a 13-inch MacBook Pro and of course, MacBook Air, sorry. And um, the kids have still got a Mac Mini. So I'm not, I'm not walking yeah. away from Apple desktop. I'm just not going to use an Apple desktop anymore for me personally. Yeah. So when my Windows 10 Service Pro 4 starts to go wrong, or it gets a bit long on the tooth, you may find me back on the OS ten bandwagon. But, <laughs> but, I mean, Apple need to fix their broken operating system because I don't know what the hell they've done to it. Well, I do know what the hell they've done to it. They've just added too many features. They haven't regression tested it well enough across the hardware platforms that they have to support. They've tried to support too many older platforms rather than having clean breaks. And they essentially are not, as I said, I'll say again, regression testing it properly. Because if you were doing yeah. that, you know, and they're not putting, they're not putting their um, feature quality, sorry, they're not putting their system stability ahead of feature set which is a big yeah. problem. It's a They definitely seem to be spread a little thin and, and running really, really fast. They are. And the problem that you've got that they have as a company is that they are forever chasing the Christmas rush and it's always got to be ready for Christmas. You know, so they have, WD, they have WWDC in the middle of the year that gives three months for developers to get their stuff together. And then it's ready for the new iPad, iPhone release later in the year. And that's their big money spinner. But the problem is if they don't drag the Mac along with it, then how do they get the, you know, the the feature parity across their operating systems? Mm -hmm. So you want to have the whole cloud and everything is all on the same level, similar feature sets. What do you do? You don't have an option. One comes along, they all got to come along for the ride staggering them becomes more and more difficult and that then becomes an enormous problem because your support program is so your your build strategy is forever cyclic <laughs> but the worst part of it is the peaks and the troughs are all at the same peak and trough time so 
your peak development on all of your platforms is always going to be the same at, for all of the platforms. So you'll need the same feature set to be delivered on iOS and on the Apple Watch and on the Mac all about the same kind of time. It all has to come together for a release at the same time. You know, you because otherwise, the way you should do it is if you had, if, let's say you had 100 engineering resources and you got you could split it into four pieces, 25 on Apple mm-hmm. Watch, 25 on, on, on iPhone, 25 on iPad, and 25 on OS 10. Yeah. Let's say you did. Let's say you did that just for argument's sake. So what are you going to do? Well, you're going to um, stagger those people. So you've got Apple Watch development that's done, iOS development say early in the first quarter. You know, iOS development for the iPhone um, in second quarter, and then iPad third quarter, and then OS 10 fourth quarter. Because if you do that, suddenly you can have a hundred people in each team. But because you can't, you only get 25 on each and they're all running all at the same time mm-hmm. because you've got to have feature parity and feature synchronicity between the four the, the platforms and interfaces. I mean, okay, I skipped Apple TV in there, but it, you know, TV OS. So you see Apple's dilemma. That's and it's okay. Not... I think they skipped TV OS too. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And I don't want to make this all about Apple, but, but ultimately, you know, I can see that this will change. Eventually, they will, re- they will reach another breaking point where either Android is taking too much of their lunch, or Windows is making you know is taking too much of their lunch, or more lunch than they would like, and they have to focus on quality. You know, the next Snow Leopard. When is that happening? You know, the next build that is minimal feature set, mm-hmm. cleaning up the rubbish, and you know, improving stability. When's that happening? Anyway, so what do you think? I think. That you got to do what's right for you, and I'm glad that you're happy with your setup. Well, I'm refining it all the time, mm-hmm. including fixing this uh, iPhone propped up on top of my <laughs> shock mount. <laughs> it looks 100% stable. That's a two yeah. thumbs up, and you can't see it. Totally. I'm sure it's the perfect complement to your overlapping headphones, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, you know what? I think we should probably leave it there. Let's wrap this one up, eh? Got it. All righty. If you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi, or you can follow Pragmatic Show to see specific show announcements and other related stuff. Pragmatic is, of course, part of the Engineered Network, and it also has an account at engineered underscore net, and that has announcements about the network and all the shows, and you can check them all out at engineered.network today. People are really loving Causality, which is a solo podcast I do that looks at the cause and effect of major events or disasters in history. So if you're a fan of this show, you may like to check that one out as well. And I've also just launched a new podcast called Analytical. So if you love Pragmatic, you will pretty much pretty good chance you'll enjoy it too. So both of those shows, I'm trying to keep them to about 30 minutes each. So they're easy on the ears. Make sure you check them out. Let me know what you think. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with Vic, what's the best way to get in touch with you, mate? Uh, They can usually find me on Twitter at VicHudson1. Fantastic. And if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, please use the feedback form on the website. Now it's been fixed. Sorry about that. And uh, that's where you'll also find show notes about this episode. And, of course, if you are enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can. Like one of our backers, Chris Stone. 
He and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon, and you can find it at patreon.com slash John Chigi, all one word. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, it's all very much appreciated. So, as always, a special thank you to our patrons and a big thank you to everybody for listening. And again, thank you, Vic. Thank you for having me, John.